work through that. And that helped to make our relationship stronger and helped to make her uh, really a person that I think she really wanted to be. this episode starts, I just wanted to give you a little window into my world. I was having kind of a tough day today and um, I'm, but, but my, my job is so funny, right? It's like I am writing an article on the five best shower sex positions. I don't know if you knew this, but I write for a sex toy company, a Canadian sex toy company, and I'm uh, just, you know, recorded a podcast and it went really well. And one of my friends was like, you have such a cool job. And you know, I think on, on those tough days that we have, sometimes we do take for granted what we have and what is already present and beautiful in our lives. And I guess I just wanted to say thank you to all of you for being a part of my life and a part of my world. You know, I just appreciate that you are my listeners and that I have an audience to serve and that, it you know, it gives me a sense of purpose and direction and it, it grounds me. And, you know, this is meaningful to me. What I do is meaningful to me. The clients I work with are deeply meaningful to me and the podcast means something to me. And so I just wanted to say thank you and a, a special shout out to my patrons for being part of my Patreon and supporting the podcast, supporting my work. Um, I really appreciate that. And I just, I feel grounded. I feel grounded knowing that there are people out there that value this and that help keep it open and available and, um, that, that it's, that it's available to people who need it, that it, it can help people's lives. And so I appreciate those of you that, that pay it forward with the Patreon and are, are supporting that, that in the world. Um, and if you are interested in becoming a patron, you can just Google Dear Men Podcast Patreon. It should come up right away. And if you join at a $10 a month level, then you uh, have access to our monthly Q and A, our live monthly Q and A with me. And, um, you can bring any question that you want and we are always here for it. So thank you for being part of my world. It, it means something to me. Hey everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am delighted to have with me John and Jackie Melfi, who are owners of the Colette Swingers Clubs and openlove101.com. And I'm really excited to um, be with the two of you today. Thank you for, for showing up and for the work that you do. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here for sure. Good. So, yeah, so you have a pretty interesting and unique uh, story as a couple, and you kind of guide people through the swinger lifestyle. We've never had swingers on the podcast before, so I'm excited to hear a bit more about how the two of you came to the lifestyle. And for those listening that don't know what that means, usually that's shorthand. The lifestyle is shorthand for for swingers or swinging. Um, so I'm wondering if, yeah, if each of you can sort of share a little bit about how you came to this um, on a personal level, right? You know, your story as a couple of uh, coming together. Uh, let's start with Jackie and then John. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Gosh, it's so funny because John and I have such completely different stories. It's so 
It's so funny. Um, John and I went to high school together. And after high school, John left where we were attending school, which is in Wichita, Kansas. And he headed out to Florida where he would live most of his adult life. And I stayed in Kansas and went through a marriage, kids, went through a second marriage and kids. And so we didn't reconnect until I was 48. So by that time, I'd matured. I had done the monogamous marriages and they just, they weren't working for me. Um, But because that was the only relationship model I knew of, I just assumed, you know, that, that I just did not know how to have the kind of relationship or I wasn't choosing um, the right person or I wasn't being the right person. You know, there was just a lot of things mixed up in that. And when John and I reconnected and we were talking about what we do, I was in banking, he owned nightclubs. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. You know, tell me a little bit about these nightclubs. And then that's when I found out that what he did was actually own swinger clubs. That was so far off my radar. It wasn't even on my radar. I knew nothing about it. Um, well, I say that, but what little I did know about swingers was not positive. It was, you know, it was that stereotypical, like anybody that's in that kind of a relationship, really, they really don't know how to have a relationship. They really don't know how to love one another. You know, they're really lacking in something. And what was interesting about my definition though, in comparison to John is he didn't fit that narrative. And so I found that kind of intriguing. I thought, here's this guy. He seems really centered, um, very Buddha-ish, is how I used to describe him. <laughs> I mean, I still do. Um, you know, that he was sweet. He was kind. He was caring. He was loving. He opened me up to a lot of conversations that I didn't know was possible between a couple. I mean, really intimate, vulnerable, transparent conversations that I was not used to. I mean, I was like, this is a completely different level of relationship than what I knew existed. The other thing I found incredibly enticing and and almost erotic was his desire for me to be the best person that I could be um, in whatever capacity that was. So I had some fantasies and we discussed those in a, in a way in which he was very supportive of that. And that, again, that was another really big change from, from what I had grown up being taught was supposed to be incorporating of, of a relationship. I mean, you weren't supposed to be talking about other people in your relationship. That's, that's like a deal breaker. That's something that you don't, you don't do with your partner. And, but yet here I was with, you know, this, incredibly intriguing man who was encouraging of that um, for me. And so I decided to investigate this a little bit. So I did a lot of study, a lot of research, and you know, a lot of reading of books, scientific literature. And that's kind of, you know, how that journey for me uh, coming from a very monogamous background and then being introduced into something 
that was going to be much more open. That was kind of my introduction into it. I don't want to, I don't want to be long winded, even though (laughs) I've probably already done that. (laughs) No, it was great. It was, I'm glad we started with you because I think that's, it's so common what you just described, right? Which is growing up with a traditional model of relationship in our minds. And, you know, you, you said, it wasn't working for me. I did two traditional monogamous relationships and it wasn't, you said the phrase, it wasn't really working for me. Can you say a little more about what you mean by that? Did you feel constricted? What, what wasn't working for you in that paradigm? Okay. So when I would think of marriage, I immediately would think of my grandparents. And of course, by the time I came along, my grandparents had been married for decades So they had the house, they had the financial security, they had the white picket fence, they had the kids, you know, uh, it was a joy to go to their house all the time, which I did. And so that was kind of my baseline for what I assumed a marriage was. And um, I couldn't wait to have that. I just couldn't wait. And, and I really didn't. Um, I mean, when I got married, I was 18 in my first marriage. So I was totally ready to do that, but I was completely unprepared for the journey to that decades of marriage. Right. You know, I was, I was really jumping the gun. I didn't have the, the history, just even the maturity to be able to handle all the intricacies that go along with the marriage. It's not just a house. It's not just a white picket fence. It's not just kids. You know, it's about melding two autonomous people and all of our quirks and all of our baggage, all of our traumas, all of our triggers, all of our joys, all of that. Uh, I also assumed that once I got married, that my partner and I would be 100% satisfied in that relationship. So it was very startling to me when I got married, especially the first time. And I still found myself checking people out when I would be out at the mall or when we would be eating and I would still be like, oh, that guy's kind of cute. And I'm like, well, no, wait a minute. What is wrong with me? I'm not supposed to be feeling this or I'm not supposed to be looking. I'm supposed to, you know, I just didn't even understand from a biological standpoint, how, how I navigate on this planet, you know, like that wasn't going to stop, but because, um, because I didn't understand that it, you know, it left me feeling like there was something wrong with me. And so I, I operated in my first marriage with a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, I couldn't figure out what was going on with me. You know, there must be something wrong with me because I'm still feeling this. And, um, you know, maybe it would just be better for everybody if I just, you know, dissolved that and, you know, did something different, which I did, which was jump right into another marriage. You know, it's like that striving to try to find maybe this person will, will be that person that I will just be like completely enthralled in. And again, that's just, that wasn't me even understanding the dynamics of what was happening and that, um, uh, you know, all that needless pain I put myself through, um, you know, just thinking that 
because I was still having these raw guttural feelings, uh, you know, about somebody walking by or, or me uh, seeing someone else that that didn't mean that I didn't care or love my partner. Those things could be going on simultaneously. Um, but yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. ready to, I wasn't ready to learn that until, until I learned it. I really appreciate what you're saying. I think a lot of people are going to relate to your, to that part of your story. And what caught my attention was, oh God, there must be something wrong with me, right? There must be something wrong with me that I'm attracted to other people while I'm in a relationship. And I couldn't agree more that it feels like in our paradigm, we're supposed to get together with one person. And then that's the only person we're ever allowed to talk about attraction to. Like, well, I'm, I'm married or I'm in a, in a, in a relationship. So I got to cut off this whole part of myself with that's attraction. And it, it's actually completely illogical because that drive is part of our aliveness. It's part of our sparkle as human beings, but in our paradigm, it's like, well, if you want to have sex with other people, you're a bad person. And so then we're like, oh, it must be me. I'm, there must be something wrong with me that my, isn't my whole world and that I want to have sex with other people or, or not even full sex, but just that, that flirting, that you know, sexuality in general. And so I really love that you named that and that you talked about that, that shame because I know a lot of our clients have been in that same position of I'm in a marriage or I'm in a relationship and I feel attraction to other people and or we're not really having sex in my relationship. And so there's added pressure. You know, it's like in both situations, there's this sense of there must be something wrong with me that I'm, I'm thinking about other people in this way when really it's like, no, you're just alive. You're just, you're just an alive human being. And, um, I think that's really beautiful. What you described about not being ready until you were ready. Um, I think that's, that's one of those sort of, um, undefined or mysterious parts of life of when we're, you know, there's that expression when a student is ready, the teacher appears. And I feel like that's true of, as we start to open, sometimes people that help us open show up in our lives. So there's this kind of virtuous cycle. And I think this might be a great time to sort of transition to, to your story, John, because I think you have a pretty different path when it comes to all of this. And it seems like you kind of got to that more expansive um, concept of relationship and sexuality sooner. So can you speak a little bit to your, to your experience? Cause it's, it's pretty fascinating. You know, both of you went to high school, you grew up in, the, in a similar environment when you were young and then your paths diverge in a pretty significant way. And then you came back together. They did. And, and first of all, I want to say thanks again for having us on. We're excited to be your first. And uh, <laughs> I, I, we lived in Kansas and it was a very conservative place. And I, in my teenage years, I didn't feel as though I fit in. <clears throat> and so the first chance I got, I turned 18, graduated from high school, jumped on a motorcycle and I drove to Tampa, Florida. And my very first night there, uh, I went to a nightclub. I met these two girls. They took me home with them. We had a great time together. And I've always been like that. I never, I never thought of that as, oh, this is unusual. Um, you know, there were multiple experiences there in my, you know, late teens, early twenties, where 
it, it, it was, you know, group sex or orgies, or we would get together with friends and do body painting. And the next thing you know, we're having sex with each other's girlfriends, boyfriends. And it was just, I just never really was um, taught that there was one way to have a relationship. And that was to meet, stay a virgin, meet somebody, get married. And that's when you start having sex and kids. And uh, I, I don't really know why. It's just, I, I never really put myself in that kind of a box. People used to ask, you know, what I was. And I would just say, I'm just kind of open-minded. You know, I just go with the flow. And, you know, Jackie said, I was kind of Buddha, Buddha-like. And I think even when I was younger, I kind of felt that way, just uh, keeping, keeping, being aware of everything around me and just go with the flow of the river, whatever came my way. If I saw an opportunity, I would take it. And the, the issue with that though, is most of my relationships that I had uh, in the, before I met Jackie were six months of great. And then a a year of trying to break up with each other. (laughs) And so I never really had any long-term relationships. And like Jackie said, she wasn't, uh, you know, really ready to understand the lifestyle that we embrace today until she was ready. And I wasn't capable of having uh, a, a wonderful, honest relationship until, until I was ready for that. And it, it didn't happen until later in my life. And, and then, you know, thankfully that time was when I met Jackie or when Jackie and I reconnected. Cause you know, as she said, we went to high school together. We went to junior prom together with different people. So we really, we knew each other back then. And then, uh, a couple of years after we were married, Jackie pulls out her kindergarten picture to show me. And uh, she goes, there I am in kindergarten. I'm like, there I am next to you. I mean, it was really, really amazing. I think uh, the destiny that, that, you know, has, has been our, our, our journey and where we are today. And then, um, you know, so I tried monogamy. Um, I really did. And it just never, I never really felt as though it was me. Then there was uh, my, my career. I was in advertising and I drank every day. Uh, I did a lot of drugs. I had a company car and then I got sober and uh, ended up moonlighting, working security in a nightclub, a concert venue, shaved my head because my hair would get pulled and I was dragging people out of there. And then my day job told me that I needed to grow a part back in my hair because my, my look wasn't conservative enough, conservative enough for what they were looking for. I talked to my, uh, my, my sponsor at the time. And he said, you know, you have a good foundation, do what you want to do. So I, I shaved my head again, pierced my ears and gave him my car keys and made, went to make it from making great money to five fifty an hour working in a, at a, at a nightclub. And I loved it. I've never, uh, that's really the first job I had that I really enjoyed going to the hours were long. I, uh, that was in Tampa and I got transferred to Atlanta and about a year into a year there, someone came to me and, and offered me a partnership to open a club together. So I opened my first nightclub. It was just a regular, I call them today vanilla clubs, you know, just uh, single guys, single girls would come in there and meet each other and dance and have a good time. And it, it was it was really great. I really enjoyed it. And then my best friend in Atlanta, they were in Europe and they invited me over there uh, to visit them in, in Amsterdam. And so I, I went and they took me out to a club one night. And, and it was a swingers club. And I looked around and what was going on and how the people were having a good time and the inner, and I realized this is what I am. I had never even heard the term. 
And uh, I'm really not much into labels, but at that moment I did. I labeled myself that, and I couldn't wait to get back to the States and start transitioning some of my nights at the nightclub into more uh, swingers nights or more open, open-minded open sexual nights. And, and that was the beginning of my career owning swingers clubs. And since that time, uh, currently we have four, th- uh, three here in Texas and one in Louisiana that's been open uh, 23 years. So when Jackie and I connected, that's what I was doing. And I would found, I mean, I was always honest about what I do because you don't want to have happen as you meet someone, you like them, and then they find out, you know, who you are as a person. And then I want to be with you. I mean, it really, it, I just couldn't, I didn't see a reason why to be dishonest about that kind of thing. So I told Jackie what I did and she accepted it and was curious about it and did her research. And, and that's really how we started our journey. Jackie says, that uh, her marriages weren't working for her. Whereas what I saw in Jackie was a marriage of 11 years and a marriage of 18 years. And no matter how bad they were in her mind, she stuck them out. And I thought, this is the woman for me because she'll put up with me no matter what. <laughs> and I thought I saw that as being a successful relationship is the, the, the longevity of it. So we have a different perspective on her, on her marriages and our relationship has been amazing. She's really it's been a journey we've taken together, even though I consider myself open-minded. Jackie and I have done some things together that I never imagined we would do or, um, uh, you know, ex- experience. And not just, I mean, within the umbrella of swinging, we've tried many different different facets of it. And currently we're in, and from the very beginning, we've been in more of an open relationship where each one of us is able to date outside of our uh, outside of our, our our marriage, and we have a very very strong foundation here at home. Uh, we share a lot of things together, you know that you know, most married couples do. We become best friends. Our communication is better than any relationship I have ever been in. Uh, the things that we've experienced together are, you know, n- I would never have imagined that we are where we are today. It's been it's been amazing. Oh, I can feel that love. I can feel that bond when you describe it. And I I appreciate what you said about, you know, the, the willingness to stick it out and the sort of perseverance energy. It's interesting. There's feels like there's an ebb and flow in relationships of times when it's, what's the word when it's called for to stick it out and times when it's called for to let something go that that is sort of a constant paradox I find in relationships. Like one to do one versus the other. Um, I think in my experience, a lot of people have a tendency towards one or the other. They're sort of, they trend towards cutting out too soon versus people who tend to stick it out too long. And it's, it's like each person is finding their own way in, in learning to come to balance between those two energies. So I appreciate that you, that you named that. And it's so fascinating. You know, I think one of the encouraging things is I think our culture does also have that sort of like narrative about meeting meeting a partner young and doing the whole thing from 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 youth but it sounds like you two got together sort of later and I think there's a lot of um joy and and celebration to be had in that because I think sometimes it can be easy you know I know I know I have clients even in their 30s who feel like they're running out of time or folks in their 40s and 50s who are getting divorced or you know, thinking about it or 
coming back into the dating scene and and wondering, you know, am I going to find what I really want? Am I going to be able to be who I want with a partner? Like, is it ever going to work? You know, and I think there's something really inspiring about you as a couple. It sounds like you do have a really fulfilling relationship. And I'm curious, you know, um, because Jackie, you mentioned the research that you did, and that sort of caught my eye because I am a sex researcher myself. And it, it feels like you you did your sort of own version of like, all right, what is this really about, right? What is what is the lifestyle? What is it like? You know, can you say a little bit more about what kinds of things you read or people you talked to or just what was that research like? And what do you feel like you learned in that process? Well, it was anything to do with monogamy, whether it was the myth of monogamy, whether it was ethical slut, whether, you know, whether it was a Kinsey Institute uh, peer-reviewed paper, um, you know, I, I wanted to understand the psychological, the biological, the physiological, you know, what, what is this? I mean, is, is this something more innate within us that we continue to, that our, that our libido almost, for a lack of a better word, stays constant? You know, you talk about um, it being kind of like having that spark of life and, Young, Carl Young talks about um, that term libido from Freud, taking it a step further and saying it's it's anything that we're attracted to in life. And so, you know, I kind of like that that the core of that term is that word. You know, it's it's anything that really sparks our attention, gets us excited kind of that goosebump, the hair stands up on your, on, on its ends and you just have that feeling. And it's so interesting how in society we're taught to repress that feeling because we're told that the gold standard for a relationship is a specific definition. And we really do ourselves a disservice when we neglect to honor our individuality and structure our relationships to fit that autonomy between the partners, instead of trying to fit ourselves into something that doesn't work. I think the reason John's and my relationship is so successful is we're very conscious of what we do in our relationship. If things are going great, we're talking about that. If we're having a hiccup, we talk about that too. We want both of us to be operating from the best place that we can be operating. And it's the really the first relationship that I've been in where my goal is to be the best partner instead of what is my partner doing for me? It's what am I doing for my partner? How are we creating an environment where we both have contentment, peace, but yet this excited kind of libido feeling for where we are, where our attention is just snagged by each other all the time and our environment. And we love and honor each other enough that we, that we give each other the freedom to do that. And then we can come back together and talk about, look at this fantastic experience I got to have, no matter what that experience is. And we're loving enough to one another to explore that. There's something, yeah, really beautiful about what you're expressing because it, it 
what I hear is partly self-actualization. So what is going to light me up is going to lead me in the direction of my fullest expression as a human being and the freedom to follow that energy and to really be supported by a partner in that process. That's what feels really bonding versus how do I be the perfect wife or the perfect husband, or how do I fit better into this box that was made for me that I don't really fit into? It's a totally different way of being and, and sort of following the spark and encouraging your partner to follow their spark and their joy. And, you know, can you, can you say a little bit more about that just as a couple? Um, I think that one of the, one of the reasons that um, ethical non-monogamy or swinging or, you know, anything in this world outside of monogamy feels threatening is it's like, well, what if my partner meets someone they like better than me? What if they have a sexual experience that's better than the ones that we have? You know, how did, how did you balance, you know, being in partnership or how do you balance being in partnership with navigating that, that fear? I have up close and personal experience with jealousy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was it's it's one of it's one of those it's one of those emotions and I always classify you know jealousy is kind of this umbrella term for a lot of different other emotions that are going on and and what we tend to do is we we snag on to the jealousy which could be the caboose of a train and we all of the other emotions that have sped past us are the ones that we really need to be paying attention to. So if I'm, if I'm jealous about something, or if I'm feeling that my relationship with my partner is fragile from that standpoint, that, that the only thing that I have to offer in my relationship is my hair, my hips, uh, how good I am in bed, how tall I am, um, if am I laughing at his jokes, you know, because that's exactly what we'll do when we start to think that our relationship is threatened by somebody else. We reduce ourselves down to these little tiny bits and pieces of who we are instead of remembering that there's a whole wealth of personality and, and growth and beauty in who we are in the relationship. And I think a lot of that has to do with how we structure and explain relationships, uh, marital relationships. Um, you know, when John and I were first like really opening up the relationship for, uh, you know, a longer term, maybe play partner, I did go through some of that, you know, I was like, oh gosh, you know, she's, she's, you know, got these features about her that are maybe better than mine. And uh, I felt pretty insecure. And that was a hard thing to admit that I was having those feelings. And I wanted so badly those feelings to be her fault, or I wanted them to be John's fault. I wanted I wanted the reason that I was feeling those things to be the result of something outside of me. And one of the greatest gifts that came out of those kinds of experiences is it allowed me to get in touch with how I viewed myself, you know, uh, how I can grow, how I can feel confident in, in my relationship with John to where it's solid instead 
a fragile. Um, I don't know what. What do you think, John? Well, I think what you said is is great. I, you know, a lot of times these, especially when it comes to the uh, the emotion of jealousy, for me it has been. I have experienced it, but I I, I feel as though that when it comes to relationships and we're jealous of somebody else taking our partner away, that's that's where our mind goes. The fear of losing our partner. It it's really it's it's society that makes us feel that way. There you know, there's people that that believe. I mean, I've had friends tell me, you know, if you don't get jealous of your wife sleeping with someone else, you must not love her. So they equate jealousy with love, and I, I have never felt that way. Uh, and I think a lot of men and women both that are in in uh, committed relationships that are. Uh, even cheating, you know, outside of a swinger relationship, but doing it behind someone's back. I, I have, I know people that are in that position and they say to me, I still love my wife. I wouldn't want to leave her, but I want this on the side. And, you know, I try and encourage them, well, why don't you try and do it in an honest way as opposed to a dishonest way. But getting back to the, to the jealousy and the fear, I think <clears throat> walking through those fears is what Jackie was just describing. And if you're able to walk through your fear, you become uh, you know, a, a, a much stronger person, more whole and very, it's very empowering when you do that. You really learn about yourself and you find that these, these images that you have of yourself are untruths. And, and it really, a lot of times it comes down to that. When I am in fear of something, it, it comes down to me feeling that I'm not good enough for whatever this task is, you know, whether it's in a relationship or in, in, in business and it, uh, to be able to, find a way rather than brush it under the rug, find a way to walk through it. It it just, it can really help you as a person individually. And in our case, you know, it helped our relationship too, because as Jackie was going through this experience, you know, we took a step back. She was focusing more on herself and learning more about herself and where her fears come from, where this um, maybe the things that were triggering her that came from her past. And she was given tools to be able to, work through that. And that helped to make our relationship stronger and helped to make her uh, really a person that I think she really wanted to be. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, part of what I'm hearing is that there's a, there is tremendous and profound personal growth that's possible when we actually lean in to these moments, to the jealousy and the the fears or the insecurities behind the jealousy. And it sounds like, you know, both of you became skilled or were skilled at revealing yourselves to each other and being honest and actually bringing vulnerability to that moment. And I'm wondering, you know, did you guys do that yourselves? Did you have a therapist? Did you have support? How did you actually navigate that? Because I think for some couples, it can feel overwhelming or it's like they've never, if they've never done that before, it's a lot to, to take on. So how did, how did you, how did you do that? For me personally, uh, it's been the, the 12 steps working with my sponsor and others, but there've been times uh, where I've needed therapy as well, where I really felt, uh, you know, going through a breakup where someone has cheated on me. Cause you know, when that happens, when you get cheated on, someone's dishonest with you, for me anyway, I, I just felt like nothing. I, I felt worthless. And so therapy really helped me to understand why I was feeling that way 
and gave me the tools to be able to get through that experience and make me stronger for the next one. And that's when I, when I mentioned earlier that I wasn't ready for Jackie until, you know, when we got together, it's because of those years of therapy that I'd had and working the steps and uh, being able to just be a, a, the best man I could possibly be for her, for our relationship to work. Cause there was a time where it, 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 it probably wouldn't have, uh, you know, how I was, how I would react to things and, and the fear that, that, uh, that I went through when things weren't going my way. <laughs> so, uh, I think those, you know, I mean, it, it really is amazing to me when we see couples that come to the club and they have, you know, they, they establish boundaries before they start playing. And, and one of the most common ones, believe it or not, is we're okay with doing everything, including uh, penetration, but no kissing. Kissing is only for between, you know, me and you. And and it comes down to when you really walk the couple through it, it's because they're afraid. They see that as a really intimate thing, more intimate than sex in some cases. And there's a fear there. If that person kisses better than me, I'm going to lose my my partner. And it's if you really think about this crazy, like that's all you guys have is just, and I would never say this to them, but this is what I think to myself when they're telling me and when I've gone through it as well. It's like, there's so much more to relationship, a marriage than just that. And if there's not, then there's, there's deeper problems. So. Yeah. And I would have to agree with John, you know, we only know what we know and we only have the tools in our toolbox from our own experiences and our own perceptions. So sometimes you know, if you run up against something and you continue to run up against it, that's a pretty clear signal that whatever tools you have are inadequate, you know? And so one of the most brilliant things I think a person can do for themselves is to reach out and say, okay, I need some different tools here because these aren't working and, you know, and find a trusted, whether it's a 12-step program or whether it's a therapist, um, you know, a friend, a friend, somebody that you can unload those things um, with. Now, interestingly enough, John and I, you know, even though we have both done the therapist path, we've also been really good about being vulnerable. And those, you know, when I think about it and talking about it today, I realize you know, it's so difficult, you know, especially if you're in fear, you know, if, uh, you know, early on, you know, when I was still unwrapping this new kind of relationship concept, there were a couple of times when John, you know, kissed somebody that I was just kind of like, oh, it put a kink in my neck. And I was just, you know, I, I wasn't really sure how to compartmentalize that. And, um, you know, I would, I would really struggle with it. And the hardest thing for me to do was to say, you know, I think you're going to leave me because she kisses better. You know, there and there were a couple of reasons why I didn't want to do that. You know, one, I didn't want to open myself up to him knowing that that was a weakness of mine, and two, I didn't want to actually admit that that was my fear because what if my fear was correct and what if John was like, "Yep, that's right. She kisses better and now I'm leaving you." You know, so there's a lot of really interesting dynamics that take place, you know, when you're trying to grow um it's it's painful it it can be painful but if we have the tenacity enough to know that i'm going to be this like badass warrior when i get to the other side of that <laughs> it doesn't make that journey quite so arduous yeah there's something 
really beautiful about what you just said. And I think a lot of people will be able to relate to it, which is when, when I'm sharing a vulnerability with someone, whether it's my partner or someone else, it's like, first of all, I'm afraid once I tell you, you now know you're right. You, you know, you are let in on this deep fear of mine or this deep insecurity. And it feels like somehow maybe that means that you'll have power over me. And often that comes from our experiences, you know, in our youth or other times, sometimes it's even intergenerational. It's something that's been passed down to us as a belief. Like if I, if I make myself vulnerable to you, then you'll know what to withhold from me, or you'll have something to shove in my face later, right? It's scary. And then the other thing you said is, shit, if I say this out loud, what if it's true? Or what if I somehow make it true by, by saying it, by naming it? And I think it takes an immense amount of courage and love, honestly, to me, that's the ultimate act of love is, is revealing our heart to someone. To me, that's, it's like offering a precious, a precious stone, a precious gem and, and holding it out in our hands to the other person and saying, this is a part of me. And it's a really, it's really hard for me to show that, show you this part of me. And that act of love, when it's received with love, when it's received well, is deeply bonding because there's something about someone seeing our deepest fears or insecurities and holding them with love, right? Not necessarily making different choices because of them. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes there are adjustments, but just seeing us, just seeing us and holding us and loving us in that, in that place that actually leads to a stronger bond than if we try to hide it or we, you know, like you said, Jackie, something about blaming the other person for it, right? Like, this is your fault that I feel this way, or this is your fault that I'm having this experience instead of I'm having this experience and it's really hard and I feel really embarrassed about it. You know, there's something about that part that it leads to more love. So I'm wondering if maybe John, you can speak to what it was like to receive those truths um, from Jackie and, and how that impacted your, your relationship. You know, I think everybody could probably react to them differently for sure. And there are, there are ways you could react to something like that. And it would just, it could damage the relationship, make, you know, make it even worse. And thankfully, that's not how I reacted to it. <laughs> I really, um, I could, I understood where she was coming from because I, I had felt the same thing in the past. I know, I know how much it can hurt. And I really didn't want to see her feeling that pain. Uh, and, I wanted to be there for her and help in any way I could, if if I could, to get her to get her through it, in including if that meant just stop doing what we're doing for now and and try and come up with a solution or find out what you know where this is coming coming from. I, I just I just I just loved her for being honest with me, you know, because it it it's hard. I know it's really hard. For her to be honest about those things, sometimes she wants to. This is, and maybe this is how she used to be. She's she's definitely changed in this in this regard. But she wants to be the woman that's like, I can do this. I'm going to fight my way through this. And there's just sometimes where it can be too painful. And and you know, I just felt really bad that something we had decided to do was causing her that pain today. Looking back on it though, it takes pain to make progress sometimes and to make change in your life and to find those extra tools you need. And Jackie had touched upon it earlier. You know, she's grateful that she is where she is today because of those experiences we had. And uh, yeah, so I'm just, uh, 
I think sometimes those things happen and it's just the couple, it's really important that they be able to be open enough to communicate about it. She didn't do anything wrong. She was just feeling the way she was feeling. And, and that's really how I saw it. You know, I really appreciate something that you just said about boundaries and adjustments, because I really loved what you said about like, you know, sometimes there's a place for being strong and powering through. And sometimes there's a place for honoring that we are where we are. And it's like right now, and you know, in this phase, like maybe let's not kiss other people for a little while and we'll just, we'll just be here with each other and, and allowing space for whatever's actually true. And, and, you know, there's something sacred about that. There's something sacred about attuning to the different parts of ourselves and allowing ourselves to go at the pace that we're actually able to go at. Cause a lot of us have young parts that they can't just grow up. They're not, it's, they're not ready. And the more adult parts of us have to kind of hold space for that and, and make adjustments. And I think there's something really beautiful about and mature about being in a relationship where your partner is willing to hold sacred space for all parts of you and, and maybe slow things down sometimes. And I'm, I'm guessing that because the two of you also coach couples through some of the process of opening up or entering the lifestyle and things like that. And I would imagine that that's, that's part of what is happening for couples is they're, they're feeling their way through where are our boundaries or where are mine? And then maybe something happens like, oh, I thought I'd be okay with that, but actually now I feel really scared and kind of, it's like navigating a different landscape together and figuring out what actually feels good and what actually feels kind of scary. And maybe like, let's back off on that. Let's get some support here, et cetera. And I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, in your own journey, um, John, you spoke a little bit to your own sort of vulnerabilities and what was your version of that, of revealing to a partner, or maybe it was Jackie or someone else of just like, Whoa, I'm, I'm experiencing this. Like I'm, I'm noticing that this is, I'm, I'm feeling fear or, or whatever. What was your experience? Because I think, you know, a lot of the people listening will be male body people. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to your version of insecurities or what came up for you around this and how did you share that with a partner? Well, you know, uh, this is probably 20, you know, 23 years ago, 24 years ago, I had, I had a girlfriend and we were experimenting with more uh, open relationship uh, where we could play separately. And in the times where she was at someone's house, and I couldn't get a hold of her and, and, and make sure everything was going okay. Uh, it caused me a tremendous amount of fear. And I realized in that experience that it was more about control because when I would see her again later that evening and she said how great of a time she had, all of that anger and fear, frustration, it just all, it disappeared in the, it just instantly and then I was excited again because I realized, oh, she's she's still with me. She's not leaving me. And I don't think I ever, sh- I'm sure I never shared that with her. I just, I fought my way through it. And, uh, and, and then after we broke up, you know, with a therapist, but it, it was really uncomfortable. Uh, you know, when you're trying to reach someone on the phone and they're not answering my, my thoughts were, would always, it would be horrible. Uh, you know, this guy's so she's been with him for 
10 minutes already. He must be so good. That's the end of this relationship. And uh, it, God, thinking back on it is so, so silly. But with, with, with Jackie, you know, we became really close friends before we, we became lovers. And, and I think that's one of the keys to our relationship. I, I, I share with her very intimate things early on, especially when you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, a consensually non-monogamous relationship model and in my past. I mean, we just spent a lot of time on the phone just talking about our, our histories and so when it came time to me to be vulnerable with her and, and share, share with her times that I was in fear, and then I would get the support from her and not, uh, she wouldn't put me, put me down or make me feel even worse about myself. You know, the, the, the trust just kept building and growing. And it, I think that's really the key is the trust in the communication. So many times in the past, I might tell somebody something and then I'm made to feel uh, like it's, uh, you know, like I'm not a good person in that. And, and, and it just, then you don't want to share anymore. You know, you close up and you hold that all inside. And when you're in a relationship where you can communicate who you are and just be yourself, uh, it's just amazing. And and then now it's easy. I mean, there's not a, th- I could tell Jackie anything and I, and I do. And she is the same with me. I mean, we, we share that with each other from time to time that, um, you know, she knows more about me than any than anyone that I've ever met in my life. And it's just, it really comes down to trust and knowing that that person is going to be there for me, no matter what. I really love what you're describing. You know, there's something about that moment, right. Of revealing the gemstone, revealing that deep truth and how it's met, you know, is that is the moment when trust is built or destroyed. And it feels like when you're describing it, that Jackie met those moments with love and compassion and, um, it's the word acceptance, acceptance versus it sounds like maybe in your past. And I know a lot of my clients have shared truths or tried to, and it's been met with impatience or resistance or, yeah, putting putting him down or just no space for it really. And that destroys trust. You know, it doesn't, it, it's like, well, I'm not going to try that again. And so then you're you're withholding your truth or you're you're hiding. And that's that's a relationship killer, right? That doesn't, it doesn't work. So I think there's something really precious about that, that ability to reveal, but also how we meet the other person when they reveal is a significant moment. And, you know, that's something that I'm pretty passionate about teaching people how to do, because a lot of our families of origin, we were not shown how to do that. We didn't, we didn't see it modeled. We, we didn't, it often wasn't safe for us to share with our families of origin. And so we didn't, we're we're sort of like going into relationships being like, what the hell is this? (laughs) How do I, what, (laughs) how do I do that? And, um, I really respect both of you for the personal growth that you did even before you got together that allowed you to show up in the way that you did with each other. Um, and because we have limited time, I do want to transition a bit to, you know, your experience guiding other couples or, you know, as, um, you essentially create space, physical space with the clubs for swingers to come together and to connect. And I'm wondering, can you speak a little bit to, yeah, you mentioned one of the common patterns and boundaries that couples will often come in with is 
okay, no kissing other people, right? This is like, like our boundary is, you know, this, like, what are, what are some of the common, um, well, actually let's back up before that. Even when, when a couple is interested in trying out the lifestyle, who, who are you noticing is, is driving that conversation? Do you find it's often, you know, one person in the relationship versus the other? How are they bringing that up with their partner? Can you give us some insight into what it actually looks like to kind of bring up opening up a marriage with your partner? It's, it's interesting. I, I, you would think it would be the men that are uh, the driving force behind trying to have a more open relationship or a swinger relationship, but it's probably half. And we, we spoke to a couple on, on Saturday night and it was, uh, she had been, did she see one of our videos or she saw something about it? And she went to her, her husband and told him like, Oh, I saw this couple talking about the, you know, swing lifestyle. And it sounds really interesting. And, and come to find out she didn't know, but he had experimented with it years before and he was really open to it. And so you definitely, what I see with couples that come to it, when an individual comes to us is how do I broach the subject with my partner? You don't know what your partner has been through, or what they're thinking, unless they were open and shared it with you. And so sometimes you just have to take it, you know, take the chance. And the way she approached it, I think, is probably the ideal way. Talking about something they saw online and how it looked intriguing. Not that I want to do it, not that I want to try it necessarily, but I just what do you what do you think about it? And just start the conversation with it in in that way because it can be very. Uh, it can, it can cause the other person to, to fall into fear and maybe lash out. If you come right out and say, yeah, I think I'd like to uh, open up a relationship and have sex with other men. Uh, it may not, that may not go over very well. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think in bringing it up, that's one of the, the best ways. And then the nice thing about our club and some events that are held around, you know, the country of the world, they revolve around, you know, music or a nightclub scene and really, it feels just like you're in a regular nightclub at, at these places. Uh, and then, you know, there's areas where, where people can hook up and play. So it's a good opportunity to go in there and just to see what it's about uh, without any, I mean, you don't have to do anything. You can just hang out like you would if you went to a regular nightclub. And we see a lot of couples doing that, even for long periods of time. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? Um, the arc of, you know, is that, what you described of one partner saying, Hey, I saw this thing online or I heard this podcast or I watched this video or I, you know, are they saying like, would you like to watch it with me or would that be interesting to you? Or because I, to your point, I think one of the things that can be confronting or can feel confronting if you're the partner that's receiving that is, well, am I not enough for you? You know, like it, it, to me, it's yes. like the, the, the feeling could be, Oh shit, you're you want to open up the relationship. Does that mean that I haven't been enough? You know, what how do you kind of guide people through that part? And is there any responsibility or does it work for the person bringing it up to say, I think this could be really um expansive for both of us or or sort of how how much is it their job to preempt or to try to get ahead of that fear that the other person might have? Well, you don't want to manipulate or be trying to be controlling in it. Uh, you know, just, I think just being honest about it is really important. But I, you know, there are people out there that are even men 
that are even in fear of their wife using or their partner using a a, a toy to play with, you know, and they they feel like, oh, I'm not enough, so you have to use a vibrator. So it could start with just that. I mean, that may be the first step that you would have to take as a couple is trying to add some other things into your into your uh, sex play and and see how you know you feel about that. if you're if your partner is in fear of you using something like that, uh, then you know that that would be the, where the conversation needs to start. Definitely you're not going to jump into coming a swinger at that point. So it, it's going to be dependent upon the couple and where they are in their relationship and what they do. If they're watching porn together already, and they're seeing porn that causes them both to get excited that involves multiple people doing stuff, then maybe, you know, that could segue into the conversation about how, where their interest lies in doing that. Is it just truly a fantasy and will always be a fantasy? Or is it something they can talk about, you know, maybe turning into reality? Yeah. And I would just, I would corroborate what you just said about, I've definitely been with men who I remember there was a man I was with who I, we were talking about sex briefly. I had just started seeing him and I shared that I was like, you know, one kind of sexual edge I'd like to play with is touching myself more during sex, like during sexual play, because I've, I don't know, I'd say I've been I've held shame around that, or I felt like, oh, well, that's his job, or he's supposed to, like, I'm not allowed to touch myself, right? Only he's allowed to touch me and for, you know, for sexual purposes, right? Um, and he did not seem excited about that. Like, I could feel from his face and just his body language, like, he was not, he was not about it. And he, I, so I could sense that I was like, oh, that's not really welcome in this space. And I didn't pursue it. I wasn't like, how is that for you to hear or what's coming up for you or anything like that? I just sort of, I shut down a little bit. Like it felt like it was a little bit edgy for me to share that. And then he did not seem excited about it. And I had a sense that, yeah, he did feel a little bit threatened by that. Right. He did feel a little bit like, well, why would you, the sense I got was like, well, why would you need that? Why would you need to touch yourself? If you're having to touch yourself or if you're having to use a toy, doesn't that mean I'm not enough? Like I'm not fulfilling my you know, job as the, as the, as your partner in getting you off, if you have to take some action like that. And I kind of wanted to, to express, like, it's not about you not being enough. It's about, for me, in that case, it was about, I want to feel comfortable with myself. I want to feel comfortable being seen in my sexuality. Cause if I touch myself, it's very much like I'm doing this for me. I'm not doing this for you. Right. Like I'm, I'm sort of taking some control of my own pleasure. I'm, I'm kind of doing that. And I think for a lot of women in our, in our sort of in the patriarchy, it can feel like I'm supposed to just be done too. I'm not supposed to take action for my own pleasure. It's like, if I'm going to be doing something, it should be for quote unquote, should be for you. And that's not spoken aloud, but it's an undercurrent that I have felt as a, a hetero woman. And I was trying to grow beyond that. And it didn't feel like that was welcome in in the space. So I guess I just wanted to corroborate what you said about, I think that he did feel threatened and I've definitely talked to yeah, people who've said, yeah, my partner doesn't want me to, to play with toys or whatever it is, because it feels like somehow it's like, well, it, it's like, as the man, it's like, I'm not doing my job. If you have to, if you have to add things in somehow I'm failing. I'm, and I'm curious, you know, Jackie, if you've had any experiences like that, of feeling like, I'm sorry, I've, 
I'm, you know, maybe in your marriages of like, I'm trying to open or I'm trying to stretch or I'm trying to grow in some kind of way. And my partner's like, not, not about that life. And I want to say, first of all, really, thank you for sharing that. That's a, that's really interesting. And, uh, it, there's just, it's, you know, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. Some men are going to be really excited about that. And there's just some men that aren't, and it's, it's really about navigating and finding, you know, partners that are into the similar things that we're into. The thing that I found most interesting since I've been in this relationship with John and we've kind of taken this path down consensual non-monogamy is the, is, is just that, you know, what you were talking about, you realize that in some of these other relationship models, we operate from such a restricted stance that that both sides of that fence struggle, right? So you've got you on one hand that knows what you like and would like to, you know, include yourself in that pleasure. And then you have the other side of the fence, you know, you've got these men that are being taught that it's their job to please these (laughs) women. And so then they have this high threshold, this high pressure to be that, you know, to be that thing. Cause we all know that, you know, when, when you're talking about orgasms that happens very quickly with men and it doesn't happen like that with women. What was the thing I heard one time? Men are like microwaves and women are like ovens. <laughs> I mean, it's, and so, you know, you have this dynamic going on, but nobody's talking about it. And if we do talk about it, you know, we're going to feel bad about us ourselves, or it's going to be an attack on the other person, or, you know, you saying that sounds like it really hit his, you know, like it, it really affected him emotionally. Like he, he really took that to heart and, and uh, you know, where would he fit in, in that picture? If he, if he can't have this role in like he has in his head of, of what his job is in that. And since I've been in the consensual non-monogamous arena, I've seen a real difference in how men and women relate to each other in that the men, for the most part, whatever makes the woman happy, they're for it. I mean, they hundred percent, whatever makes them happy. And, uh, you know, for the men, they get to to have this honest dialogue with the women and we're we're much more empathetic and patient to them with the pressures that they're dealing with as well you know it it can be really lopsided and sex is supposed to be you know intercourse is supposed to be this beautiful loving really vital part of our relationships and it doesn't get near the attention that it needs to we all just kind of brush it off to the side, uh, and, and don't, we don't want to talk about it almost like we're teenagers and we're embarrassed about it, you know, instead of just like, Oh, what, what brings you pleasure? What brings you pleasure? And how can we bring pleasure? How can both of us be pleasured in a way that, um, brings us closer, makes us more satisfied. Doesn't, you know, we, we can put down our egos and just get on with 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 being uh, loving and attentive to ourselves and each other. It's ah, 
Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. That's very <laughs> well said because it's a different orientation than am I doing it right? You know, am I enough? Because the thing is that am I doing it right? Am I enough? You know, if she needs that, it means I'm not doing something right. The problem with that is that the focus is on you. The focus is on am I doing it right? Am I providing? Am I a good enough man? Am I, you know, it's there's not that focus on the partner and is she having a good time? Is she fully expressed? So there's, I love what you said about how do we pleasure each other? And it, there's a there's a sense of how do we both win here versus how do I make sure I'm doing it right? How do I right. how do I make sure I'm doing it right so that I can feel like I'm okay? Versus how do we both get our needs met and become the most the fullest, most alive versions of ourselves? That's a different kind of goal <laughs> and comes with different kinds of conversations than am I making sure I'm a good partner and this sort of pressure I'm putting on myself around that is so distracting that I'm actually missing my partner. All right. Yeah. So um, as we start to wrap up here, I'm wondering if people are intrigued by, you know, the, the clubs or the work that you two do, you know, what do you actually do? I mean, do you, do you work with couples that are like, Hey, we're interested in opening up and becoming swingers, but we've got some questions or some fears or how does that actually work? You know, what do you do with people and how do people find you? Yeah. So, you know, if there's simple questions, like, I mean, they're not really that simple, but how do we get into it? How do we think about getting involved? Uh, they can just email us. You can find our email through openlove101.com. Jackie, is great about answering those emails. Uh, don't ask me because I answer with one or two sentences. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, our coaching is on there as well. So if, if you're in, if you're in a relationship like this, and even monogamous couples we've coached through, uh, you know, like you, I think like you do as well with intimacy issues and and how to become more intimate with each other. Uh, you can find that on open101.com and then uh, colletteclubs.com is where you can find the clubs that are open today in Texas, Louisiana, and then we have some other ones that we're opening in the future. Yeah. And one thing I did just want to address, um, since we're talking about sexuality here is this, this whole conversation topic has been pretty heteronormative. So we're mostly talking about men who have sex with women and women who have sex with men. Can you briefly share, because we do have some queer clients and I know that some queer folks listen to the podcast. Do you have like, how does that work being queer in the swinger scene? Do you have certain nights that are like, you know, queer friendly or what does it look like for non-hetero couples that are coming into the scene? You know, what is that? What well, is first that like? of all, you know, you, you'd asked a question earlier about how do you bring it up? And a lot of couples uh, that are married bring it up through either either one of the, uh, either the, the woman or the man in the relationship is having, is bisexually curious. And so I would say probably 80% of couples in the lifestyle are bisexual. Um, and, and that's how they got into it is because, you know, the, the woman wanted to experience or, you know, to explore her bisexuality with her husband. Uh, and then we're open. Our clubs are all the time open to anybody. I mean, it really doesn't matter where you stand or, you know, uh, the, we have, we've had specific nights in New Orleans. I think right now we have a night called Haven that specifically for bi couples that don't feel comfortable being bi on a regular night. Uh, when you know, you come in there and you maybe see men together or women together. 
uh, then the, but any other night it's, it's really open to anybody that wants to explore that side of themselves. Great. And, um, yeah, as we're, as we're sort of wrapping up here, um, I'm wondering if each of you can speak to one of the, just one of the biggest things that you've learned about yourselves in, in this process of opening up, maybe the process of opening up for Jackie and then maybe John for you just in, in coming into relationship. What, what is one of the biggest things you've learned about yourself? For me, it would be just kind of fitting within and accepting who I am. You know, early on, I remember John asking me what I wanted and I realized it was the first time anybody had ever asked me that. And so I was like, oh, wow, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, it's been 11 years of finding out what that is and just really nestling into that power and finding my yes, finding my no, finding my voice, um, you know, and, and just being comfortable in who I am. I just, I I really love it. It it is, um, I'm a, a much different person than I was 11 years ago when we started this. And even my kids, even my kids notice it. Oh, I love that word nestling in that you said. There's something really cozy about that, like nestling into who I am. I don't know. I just really like that. (laughs) And for me, I've learned how to, uh, and and this is a positive thing. I I don't want to sound negative, but I've learned how to be more patient because I'm just like, I'm all in when I try something new, I just, I want to be the best and in, in, in going through this relationship and, and learning about uh, opening up a relationship together. Uh, and I have many, many years of experience doing it, whereas Jackie didn't. So I had to learn how to just pull, just be patient, loving and empathetic through whatever she's going through. That's beautiful. I, I, I love that. It feels deeply mature because <laughs> <laughs> I have my own struggles around patience. Cultivating patience to me is cultivating wisdom. There's something about patience and slowing down and attuning to what's actually present and happening and called for that feels like, like wisdom, like, oh, wow. I'm deepening into something, something more profound. So thank you for speaking to that. It's been a delight having you two on. Thank you for being here. And, um, I would, I would love to have you back. I feel like there's more to talk about, especially in the patterns that show up in, in the clubs and all of that. And, so, so thanks for this intro. No, thank you very, very much. And I agree. There's a lot we didn't touch upon. It would be, and you're just uh, great to have a conversation with. So anytime. Yeah, oh. we loved it. <laughs> thank you. All right. 